Hello, I'm Kristen Perisonotto. And I'm Hannah Ferguson, and we're co-founders of Cheek Media Co. This is the Week with Cheek podcast. Before we start this podcast, I'd like to acknowledge that we are on stolen and unceded land of the Yagra and Turrbal people here in Mianjin. Um, I would like to acknowledge their elders, past and present. Welcome back to the Weekly Cheek. Welcome. So today we're going to talk about quite quitting. It's a crazy new phenomenon about just doing the job you're paid to do. <gasps> the job you paid to do <laughs> did you see that article it was making the rounds on linkedin on the friday after the um sta- state mandated morning day mm-hmm. and it was like companies will lose millions because of sickies today and i was like that's what you care good. about <laughs> fucking good one fucking good thing to come out of this do you know something that i'm gonna start with that makes me really mad okay is like when companies talk about lost money oh in terms of people hours and yeah. when yeah when it's like lost profits i'm like you didn't lose it you just didn't get it no it's uh it's not lost it's lost in their eyes because we are a commodity exactly our time and labor is a commodity yes it's something quite interesting and i'm going to start with this as well i love and when i say i love i actually mean i hate I love when industrial action, so strikes, are being taken by workers. So, for example, Sydney Trains, there's been a lot of issues with, um, you know, they've been negotiating for a new enterprise agreement and Sydney Trains is not coming to the table. And there have been a lot of issues, a lot of contentious issues. And hearing people bitch and moan about the inconvenience of workers taking industrial action and striking is quite interesting to me because... Do you fucking understand (laughs) that the purpose of industrial action is to inconvenience people? Mm. It is to express the value of the labor and the work they do and the great inconvenience that is caused to thousands, if not potentially tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands in Sydney, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is saying our work should be valued. Our time should be valued and we should be paid entitlements accordingly. And people are like, yeah. And it's like, okay, this is one of the very few powers employees have when bargaining and when mm-hmm. attempting to increase their rights at work. And it's hilarious to me that people are like, I'm just so sick of this. And it's like, oh, you're fucked, yeah, You're mate. sick of it. You're and absolutely you think- fucked. Yeah. You are cooked. You should be fucking being <laughs> good for you. Also, I feel like most of the um, the rhetoric around the, th- the people who are upset yeah. are, first of all, like upper class, upper middle class, yeah. unsurprisingly, white collar professionals. Yes. And they're like, I'm not going to get to my meeting on time. <laughs> and I'm like, do you realize the irony of what you're saying? Anyways, or it's the same as perfect, when teachers perfect, perfect, and perfect. childcare workers mm-hmm. took action. And it's like, my child has to stay home. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's you should be that. mad about the teachers getting underpaid and too. the reason that your child is at home is not because of the teachers. It's mm-hmm. because they are not being paid a wage that is equivalent or in any way, any, any way remotely adequate remuneration for what they do every day. Yes. Simple as that. Have a fucking critical thought, you dicks. And I think that there is, there's also like, um, certain, uh, jobs where people will agree. Like with teachers, it's much easier for people to get on board with teachers taking strike action. Cause they're like, Oh my God. Yes. Teachers are so undervalued in our society. It's mm. like nurses or any kind of medical. Oh my God. That's so sad that they are on the poverty line. Oh my God. Yeah. But then it's like train workers, the train that you take every single day to go about your life. Yes. It's just like, oh my God, 
I can't get on my train. I can't get my Starbies and I can't get to my meeting. Starbies? Starbies. I've never heard that before. Are you even a Gen Z? But you're saying Starbucks, right? Yes. Interesting. See, I think that it's certain types of jobs society will like in quotes allow to have to take things like strike action yeah but i guess teachers and nurses wouldn't feel like they are those jobs though i don't think so because then a lot of the like they're you know so often an under underappreciated mm. profession um and also like usually with teaching and nursing those groups of workers will very rarely take strike action because of the inconvenience it will cause to uh, students and to yeah. Um, patients or yeah. sick people in the hospital. Oh, so anyway, so anyway, back to the point. Now, when I first heard the it. term quiet quitting, because you wrote the article on it, and I was like reading it, and I was enlivened. <laughs> I was like, fuck, is that what it means? <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I had for weeks, I'd been seeing this little term around the traps. Yeah. I'd been but seeing... you mostly saw it in mainstream media where people were like, quiet quitting is costing company millions. Yeah. And what I thought it meant, which I think is funny, and I'm not sure if I'm alone in this, but what I assumed it meant from the, from the way the word, the phrase reads is I thought it was like when, say you're mentally clocked out of a job, you're checked out in the mind, you're applying for other jobs. It's like, say you're working from home and you just used your day while you're getting paid to like apply for other jobs and like interview and like just not do your shit. Mm -hmm. Like quiet quitting is in like slowly working your way back to from the quit, job yes. to a quit. Mm -hmm. But then when I read it was doing your job, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so if like Hannah, you've been fooled by the mainstream media, um, quiet quitting is just doing the job that you are paid to do. Like working to your contract, your PD, whatever the yep. case may be. Like if you start at nine and you finish at five, actually starting at nine and actually finishing at five, not starting at eight, not starting at quarter to nine, not leaving at seven, not leaving at five oh five, yes. nine to five, that's it. Unfortunately, I will only be doing things that are in my PD. I will not be doing any additional work that someone has to do because you're understaffed. I do think this is a very much a corporate thing too, because like, and I do think it's a very Gen Z sort of new age response to like, especially when we, you know, I think a lot of when you graduate from uni and you go into the corporate world, a lot of the time you're expected to do these enormous hours, especially when you're at like the top law firms and the mm. top consultancy firms and all this sort of stuff. Like the to like earn your promotion. And you're getting paid. Like, and you know, like I'm not undercutting or saying anything about the wage, but like a grad salary would be like 65 to 75 grand a year, I would say. For a lawyer. Yeah. No, for a, yeah. For some sort of person in like corporate. I My would... first job was 60. Yeah. And that was in 2017. My first job was 70 and it was last year. Yeah. Um, okay. And yay inflation. Yay. Um, and <laughs> well, you can compare that anyway, whatever. Anyway. Um, and I think that it's kind of this weird thing where people, younger people aren't as familiar with unionism mm. and you know, like, and I, a lot of people in the comments on the article that you wrote were saying things like, and I've never heard this term before, but it made a lot of sense was like act your wage. Yes. Um, like it's all about like not taking on those additional responsibilities unless you're going to be paid for it. And I think a lot of what we're seeing, especially in the COVID world and the great resignation are people taking on the workloads of multiple people who've left the company without them being willing to pay them accordingly or yep. replace them. Yeah. And this like alleged skill shortage that we have, which a lot of it is to do with the fact that 
um, businesses are not paying yeah. a competitive wage or like a li- even a livable wage. Yeah. Um, and so people like there's a this cafe down the road from my parents' house that has just like stopped being open on Saturdays. Like they always used to have, I think they were closed like Monday, Tuesday, but they were open through the weekend. And they put up this sign that's like, um, closed Saturdays from now on, can't find anyone to work. And I'm like, you can't find anyone to work. Like, why is that? I wonder. It's yes. probably because their Saturday hourly wage is the same as their weekday hourly wage. So they can find people on Sundays when they pay penalty, but they can't find anyone to work on a Saturday, not for a penalty. Absolutely. And here's the thing, and this is kind of a hard pill for people to swallow. And it, some people find it controversial and I'm not sure why. If a small business or any business cannot pay their staff a livable wage, they shouldn't be in business. Yes. It's as simple as that. And I think that these fucking conservative media outlets go to these businesses and interview the owners, like, how are you going to afford to make coffees? And they go, oh, well, the rising cost of living, we can't afford to pay staff if they lift the you know minimum wage. So <laughs> you're going to pay someone how much and they're not going to be able to afford their rent yeah. because you don't want to pay them or you can't pay them above the minimum wage. I don't really care mm. about your feelings in this because yeah. – the worker and their rights should be protected in the first instance. And if you cannot afford to pay them a living wage, you shouldn't be in business. And it's as simple as that. And also, again, like the irony of them saying like, oh, well, we can't afford to pay. I'm like, well, then the workers can't afford to work there. Yeah. Simple. Simples. Simples. Um, money is money. Money is money. Work is work. Living is living. Living is living. I actually have always acted my wage, I think. Apart I, from like, I mean, there was one job where I was disgustingly overpaid, uh, underpaid. And I talked about this on close friend story a few weeks ago. I was, yeah, I've had an experience where I was definitely underpaid too. But I would say, so I don't think I was acting my wage. I bet I was definitely had quiet quit. Like that's how I usually, that's how I used to like enter the work. Like I would start the job and I'm like, okay, nine to five, 501, peace out. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, so I was always like fairly good at that. No, I've never been good at that. Really? I always, I always feel a desperate need to stay late. Stay late. Yeah. Interesting. Still. And I have the best job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I always feel the need to like, just be around. Yeah. Well, to that's, look I mean, available. That's, but that's the thing. That's a myth that, um, like corporates have told us is like you, but people can be anytime. Like sometimes I worked late, like a handful of times in like past jobs, but it's because I had something that I wanted to, it was always my choice. Mm. It was like me wanting to finish something so that I didn't have to come back to it the next day. Um, but the thing about like all of those people who I, I've, I mean, we've all worked with them. They're like, I work 12 hours a day. I'm like, what are you actually doing though? But also it's not a flex. No, I think that's one of the the biggest things that we need to take down in like the fall of girl boss culture Yeah, is like people um, flexing and glorifying exhaustion and burnout and how hard they've got it. Yes. Like the, oh, I only had uh, six hours sleep. Oh, I had four. Oh, fucking woohoo. What the fuck? (laughs) How are you standing up right now? Like, have you eaten three meals? Do you need a Panadol? Do you need a coffee? Are you okay? Should you be working? Yes. You know, like imagine if you're the fucking paramedic that was standing over you saving your life said that. I only worked, slept three hours last night. I went out partying. Like, you should probably go home then. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't be trying to fucking paddle yeah. me, right? Yeah. Like, fuck. <laughs> you just wake up. But then, Don't paddle me. But do not. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. But, but this is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not cool. Yeah. And I think that the idea of quiet quitting works if everyone in the workforce does it. This is yeah. one of the big issues is that when you pull back after you've been pushing for so long, it's really noticeable too. Yes. And to managerial staff, that looks like um not Checking performing out. to your pd yeah it looks like not doing your job it looks like a performance review mm-hmm. so it's like a matter of going back to and i think that 
the issue is always going to be that the empowerment balance between a manager and a worker mm-hmm. um, and how that works and how that looks. Because like, I mean, you know, one of my first job, my, one of my first office jobs when I was still at uni was like, I did um, transcribing uh, police interviews of perpetrators and victims for juries in criminal trials. So lovely work, enjoyed myself so much. Traumatizing. Um, and so literally all day I just put on headphones, type as fast as I can, um, listening to pretty much the most heinous things you've ever heard in your life. And mm-hmm. I was paid uh, 600 a week. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty bad. Cause I would go home and cry most days. And then when I left that, I was like, Oh, life feels good again. Right. <laughs> but I still stayed back. And like, like I just did all this stuff when I was like, not getting the support I needed. I wasn't learning it. Like mm. it was just the worst shit ever. And yeah. like, that's what some of the most traumatizing work a person can do. And to be paid so poorly yeah. for that as well. Like it's obscene. Yeah. I just think like the, we just need to be really honest about like why people are working late. Yeah. Because it's either because you're like, you're actually not like doing doing the work. Like you're just kind of staying there to be, to be like, Oh look, I'm still here. And it's 8 PM. Yes. Look at me. Um, or it's because the company is so wildly understaffed that you are doing the job of multiple people. Absolutely. And again, quiet quitting is work-life balance uh, reshaped for a younger audience, I think. But it's also just funny to see the backlash to something like this. Yes. Oh my God. Can people please like remind us that your company doesn't care about you. Truly. If you drop dead, they will replace you tomorrow. Yeah. They probably won't go to your funeral. (laughs) I know that's harsh, but seriously, like you're a number. Everyone is a number like human resources. And we are sold this narrative um, that in our 20s, especially, we must push and we must put everything into our careers. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that the other thing is, is that as young people start to divert from that narrative and say, like, what the fuck are we doing? I'm not enjoying myself at all. Older generations will say, like, oh, but, you know, back in my day, it wasn't (laughs) like that. And it's interesting because I think it comes back to that idea of, like, just because you had it hard doesn't mean that we have to as well. Yeah. We don't have to suffer just because you suffered. Yeah, exactly. We can question that. And yeah. I'm so, sorry, we're a bit smarter. So, <laughs> no, man. so like just because you suffered blindly and ignorantly because that was the way things were done. If we want to change the way things are done, why is that such a problem to you? Exactly. Don't tell in yourself. Yeah. Um, I just think that like even the idea of a I was just thinking when you were talking, obviously about what you said. <laughs> As what the very fuck? Hard what the fuck? Is like this idea of like a career being so much like who you are mm. um, is like, that's kind of the root of this. I mean, the root of it is capitalism, obviously, but we've internalized capitalism. Like when you meet someone, you always say like, what do you do? Yeah. Like as if that's kind of like the defining a, factor of exactly. who they are. And for a lot of people, it's not like for a lot of people, like I know I don't do much other than work to be quite honest. Um, but it's because like, if someone asked me what my career was, I would be a bit like, I'm like way too cool to have a career. But it's kind it's of confusing okay. for us Go though. Slay. But if people ask me what I do, it's confusing to me because cheek isn't my job. Yeah. So it's kind of, I have like a, I do have like a weird identity crisis about that. And I think that's because our identities are so tied up in what we do for work Yeah. because of the capitalist society that we live in. But it's interesting because I think that cheek and what we do for work is so representative of the same progressive ideals. Mm. So it's like, it actually is like my work and cheek reflect who I am values wise. And that's what matters to me. Yes. But that's very unusual. Yes. Agreed. Very lucky. Very lucky. Um, but I think that separating like our careers from our our identities and i think that um like i 
came from a very corporate background and like even through uni um the degrees that I did were very much corporate like that was really the the only path that people yeah. were taking people around me so this idea of like this office job in the CBD where like where my pumps to work and blah 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 um was very much like the only path for me in my mind when I was from when I was probably 16 I reckon it's when it really started although before that I used to like have this um serious obsession when I was a kid with being a secretary I wanted to be a secretary and I like used to like make desks out of boxes like fridge boxes and stuff and I was obsessed with stationery you are so strange to me and I think (laughs) and I think it was just this like obsession with like having a job where I had a desk Mm. I was like I need the desk I need the stationery I need the laptop I need all of it. Like it didn't really, I don't know, like the idea of a desk was like so like pivotal to my job. That is so interesting. Yeah. I just always wanted to be an entertainer. Really? Yeah. No, I needed the desk. I I've want, got a desk now. But I was like too scared to do anything. Like I was convinced I'd win an Oscar or something, which I won't because mm-hmm. I cannot be anyone but myself. I'm incapable of pretending. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Is just pretending. So I don't know how to do that. So yes. then I was like, well, and then when I was in year 11 and 12, I was like, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. Yeah. And then I was like, That's when I was doing my law degree, I was like, this is the Ew. worst shit on earth. I guess I'll just finish it. I think I'll just do it. <laughs> but I think that like, I think that this is why white collar and corporate workers are really bad with this kind of thing. Really, really bad with like um, identity and mi- being mixed up in Korea yeah. and like um, your career being everything and like putting so much into work that's absolutely not necessary. And like, frankly, you should not fucking be doing it. Because yeah. the thing for me is like, I know that I've, I'm sure a lot of people will say, well, oh, it's, it's the person's choice if they're going to work late, mm. which for me, I'm like, is it really your choice or are you doing it because you think you have to, um, because you think you have to earn some kind of promotion or a pay rise, like newsflash, you shouldn't like have to work overtime to get a pay rise or, or a fucking promotion. You should just like, I mean, to get a pay rise, you really should just wait for inflation to happen, but that's not. But How it works. I think part of this conversation also is around like the recent, maybe the past couple of weeks, I've seen quite a bit of conversation around like the expectation that people are returning to work and not working from home anymore. Oh yeah. Um, and Mark well, McGowan. not into that. Yeah. Mark McGowan was like, I'm a bit traditional in that way. And like, I think you should come into the office for like, and it was kind of like a team culture vibe, mm-hmm. but like, I think it just comes yeah. back to the belief that bosses have a view that people are lazy and that they don't yes. work when they're at home. Yeah. When they in fact, work-life balance is increased so exponentially because people's well-being increases when they literally have a spare hour not commuting each day to put on some washing to prepare meals to do the things that life admin doesn't allow for when you're stuck to a desk all day in an office and i think that it's funny because it is this assumption of laziness and i think that it is um what we're not talking about which is uh, this obsession with control yeah and like a lot of um when people started working for me there was a lot of companies that tried to say you had to keep your camera on all day what the ew that's fucked up there's a lot of articles i read about that sort of stuff oh my and it's just this obsession with like this efficiency and things when actually what's happening now is around the world they're doing like the biggest trial of the four-day work week and finding that productivity is basically not dropping at all yeah and in some cases it was it got better you know i read this study yesterday because i'm a fucking loser um and it said when you are interrupted doing work 21 minutes. 23. 23. On average, 23 minutes to get back to what you were doing. Exactly. To regain focus. Yeah. That's crazy. So crazy. Um, I also think that like when you're acting in a way that's like going above, in quotes, above and beyond for a company that doesn't literally does not give a shit if you're dead or not, um, you're 
actually creating a toxic, you're feeding into a toxic work culture for everyone around you as well. Because then like this idea of like the, and I think that law is like a prime example is like a competition to see who can stay the latest yes. or like who can get there the earliest. Because every time you do that in a job, you are like feeding into this culture where everyone else thinks that they have to do that to match everyone else. Yes. So I think that if you're, if you won't do it for yourself, then do it for other people who are going to come after you. Because like, like imagine going into a workplace and most of mine haven't been too bad um, where everyone is fucking working till 6 PM and you're supposed to finish at four. Like, you're going to be fucking working till 6 p.m., especially if you're new. And then that's when, like you were saying, it's really hard to pull back from. It's mm. hard to quiet quit in the midst of a job because then it looks like a drop in productivity. I still think you should do it Absolutely. because, um, like, you'll have a, you may possibly have a fair work case or like a case through your union, which you should join um, if you, if they fire you for starting yeah. to actually work to your PD. Yes. When we, when I posted the article about quiet quitting, um, there were quite a few comments that were like, this has been done for decades. It's called work to rule, um, a term which I actually hadn't, oh, I've heard of a few times, but I don't think it's like very common in our vernacular, like for young people and especially for people in corporate environments, because the idea of work to rule is like, um, a very unionist phrase and, um, does is like more heavily linked to blue collar professions Mm -hmm. and like a few generations older than us so i think that i mean there's a lot of people who are who were upset because it's like it seems like all millennials have invented this new thing but it was already a thing before and like while i do understand that people get frustrated when that happens i think that for me i'm like well if that's only a positive thing if young people and people in different work environments are embracing that kind of like, who gives a fuck what it's called? As long as they're doing it, that is like actually really helpful for like the working class, like any workers in, you know, the world, I suppose is it can only be helpful. Like whatever you call it, actual wage, quiet quitting, work to rule, whatever it is. I think it's only a good thing that we are all like, taking a step back from going above and beyond for a boss who doesn't care about us. We had one of our guest contributors who was a fucking legend, Emily Coogan. She wrote a piece for us, uh, sort of subsequent to your quiet quitting article, which is about like the place of ambition mm-hmm. and the role of ambition. And like, I think a lot of what she's talking about is, you know, as we look at quiet quitting and, and, and sort of um, s- stripping back to, normal hours and a normal work-life balance like what is the place of ambition and where does ambition come from um and i I actually links quite well because one of our followers put in a question box for the confession hour thing i did yesterday which was like um i'm really worried that like i'm gonna lead a boring and mediocre life and not be successful Mm -hmm. but it was kind of like this implication that success was equal to not having that right and like I think that is this sort of source of like Emily's question. I think it's like a really good contrast because like, why does ambition, I think ambition and this idea of like happiness through success are like inherently linked. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that her article was talking about quite specifically was like, I think the, the best slide of the, the tiles was for women, especially in their twenties, there's always this pressure and this like balance that you're trying to have in your mind where you're like, I'm pushing, pushing, pushing my career, but with the knowledge that at some point I'm going to have to make this decision about family and things like this body clock, all the pressures. Like, I think that's very common for women to start questioning in their mid to late 
20s or even earlier because we're trained to have the hold these fears and like what am I going to do how am I going to manage this am I going to be like someone who does both like what is the expectations like do I need to be partnered like what like it's just this it's just this this thought that doesn't ever really go away Mm. um and I think it's something that's not talked about I think it's relationship with ambition is really interesting well I I was just thinking I think that so like obviously um and this stereotype is still around today but it was particularly prevalent um probably until like the previous generation is that women's um or the one before women's like place in society and their only path is family Mm. and then i think that like the rise of the girl boss happened and it's like women can be corporate queens as well and we can be billionaires (laughs) um and i think that that has been painted as the antidote to the stereotype that we can only be parents yeah but i actually think it's just like bringing in another problematic stereotype yes. oh, it's probably not not to the point of being a stereotype but like another problematic like pressure because now it's like i just don't find it very helpful when it's like okay so it, we haven't quite shaken the idea that we should be parents and now also we should have a successful career and be rich but then it's like and then you have all these people who are who are like you can do both and then we have all of these other people who were like, don't listen to them. You can't do both. You have to pick. Yes. So it's kind of like, well, that is actually not particularly helpful at all. It's pretty much just like trying to replace um, the patriarchy with capitalism. Yes. So that's not the vibes. Oof, that's heavy, but you're absolutely right. It's not providing an, I mean, I guess it is providing an alternative, but it's not providing any relief from societal pressures. No, not at all. It's cooked. And the only people who can have both are like the very wealthy, by the way. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, it's all capitalism. Abolish it. We wouldn't know how to live if we abolished it. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. We'd be so hard. I mean, I fucking hope it happens, but like, I don't. But stuff still would have to be done. But we wouldn't all just be hanging out on a hammock. I think that this other thing for it is like, we wouldn't, yeah, you're right. You're right. We wouldn't all just be lying in the grass having fun together. (laughs) Um, But I think this other thing is, is like, and I think a few episodes ago, we talked about like how I sometimes judge the girls I went to school with who have had babies and Mm. like never really done the uni or like they just kind of stayed in my small hometown and had Mm -hmm. children and got married really young. Yeah. Um, And like, I think it's because like all of my personal achievement is so tied to academic achievement and career success. Mm -hmm. And so like this relationship with ambition and trying to unpack like girl boss culture is actually really hard yeah because when i think we were in our teens that was the like prominent form of feminism was Mm -hmm. like um denying that like family maternal instinct in your 20s and like fucking going for it and then being like well i don't know if i want to have kids and like blah 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 because i i mean i don't necessarily know but it's so interesting because like i can't even imagine like a world where we dismantle these ideas of ambition and success because like it feels like so connected to who I am that yeah. if you take away my work and cheek, like I really wouldn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. And I, 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 I know who I am and I like who I am, but like without those things, like those feel like the way I express, mm-hmm. like I think my personality is my work as well. Mm-hmm. And like without those things, I don't know. Yeah. And that's so interesting. Cause I think for some people it is children and family and then mm-hmm. for others it is work. Yeah. Um, and, and it often feels like these competing interests where people have to pick one. And if you have both, you feel like you're failing and things. I think a lot of women, that's like a common thought. Mm. But for me, I'm just like, without, 
intellect and not saying that goes away if you're not working obviously people can be extremely smart and not be interested in a career um or like that ambitious sort of trait but it's like really interesting to think about like who you feel you can be without those things and like when you don't tie your sense of self and identity to achievement in that sense Mm -hmm. i fucking don't know and I actually think that some, like a lot of like the leftist Gen Zs are quite good at that actually. Yeah. About like, good at like um, kind of separating that and like yeah. understanding what that work is just an exchange of time for money yeah. um, and understanding that like your career doesn't have to be your life. So I think that hopefully in a few generations things will be a bit different. I think they will. Yeah. And I think that we need to start untying ourselves because otherwise we'll be the older generation like, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Young people don't know how to work these days. But it seems like nobody wants to work these days. I think it is um, our, like, Gen Zs who are also unpacking this idea of, like, not needing to commodify hobbies. Yes. Like, obviously it's work stuff as well, but it's like, why does everything you need to do need to be a small business? Yes. Like, why does, like, your enjoyment of, you know, painting nudes need to be, you know, like, it's, yeah. like, everything. It has to be an Etsy shop. Yeah, ex- exactly. Mm. Um, and it's because I think that with the rising cost of living, we are in this sort of experience where we're like, oh, I'm just going to need a dollar. I need a dollar. You know, yeah. like, any way I can make a dollar. And so it's just so hustle-driven. But when you take that away, it's like, how do we how do we fight these things? Because they are connected. Yeah. And to deny that people need to make money through any means, mm-hmm. like... You can't say that, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Fuck, exactly. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Well, I think it rides a very fine line between like making something that you love into a job so that you don't have to do a job that you hate. Yes. And also like you said, like monetizing everything. Yeah. Um, and not to be rude, but like sometimes your paintings are not good to sell. <laughs> well, you don't mean me. Obviously no, I, I would mean, never try and sell my paintings. Generally. I think like, sometimes I don't paint by the way. It's like, there's people who are artists and then like I actually know someone (laughs) and there's no way they would ever um listen but they were like a fairly like top uh like top management executive um and I was talking to them one day I knew them through work by the way um to clear my own record and he was like oh like what did you do this weekend and so I told him I was like telling him about my weekend and it was one of those times where like he asked what I did on the weekend so that he can tell me what he did on the weekend classic yeah and he was and I was like oh what about you and then he goes well took takes his phone out no shows me a picture of a painting that he had done and he's just like look at that look at this paint like look what I made and I was like okay like I don't really know much about art but it was like I guess like a geometric type of thing like just black um like black on a white canvas, like very simple. And he was like, yeah, I just like saw someone making these online. And then I was like, I can do that. And then he made 12 of them and put them around his home. 12. Yes. 12 of these things. (laughs) And then I was like, he's going to fucking say he's going to open up a fucking Etsy shop. And he was, and he literally did. This is, this is a person who was probably making, I would say like maybe close to $200,000 a year selling these like, in, in quotes, artworks that he had just <laughs> whacked together because he saw someone doing it on the internet and decided that he could do it. And then made 12 of them. Inspiring. And, and then was like, <laughs> you know what? Pe- the people need to have access to these. Like, I'm sorry, that is just undercutting like genuine artists. <laughs> so don't do that. Okay, bye. Bye. Actual wage. 
If you didn't find us completely insufferable, come back next Wednesday for a new episode. You could also find us on Instagram at Cheek Media Co. or online at cheekmedia.com.au. Yes, that's the one. That's the one.